You're listening to a City on a Hill podcast. We'd love you to use and share this podcast, but please refrain from editing the content without permission from City on a Hill. If you'd like to know more about our church, or if you'd like to donate to the work of City on a Hill, please visit cityonahill.com.au. 1 Peter chapter 5, verse 1 to 5. So I exhort the elders among you, as a fellow elder and a witness of the sufferings of Christ, as well as a partaker in the glory that is going to be revealed, shepherd the flock of God that is among you, exercising oversight, not under compulsion, but willingly, as God would of you, not for shameful gain, but eagerly, not domineering over those in your charge, but being examples to the flock. And when the chief shepherd appears, you will receive the unfading crown of glory. Likewise, you who are younger... Be subject to the elders. Clothe yourselves, all of you, with your humility toward one another. For God opposes the proud, but gives grace to the humble. This is the word of the Lord. Good job, Finney. And uh, it was my wife welcoming today too. So it's basically just the Nelson family singers today. But <laughs> well, welcome to church. Welcome to the people of God. And what an interesting thing it is to be church Uh, there's this beautiful picture that God has for us as the church. In fact, that's what Peter's been telling us about in chapter 2. He says that we are a chosen race, a royal priesthood, a a holy nation, a people for his own possession, that we may proclaim the excellencies of him who called us out of darkness into his marvellous light. This is the, the purpose, the goal, the vision that God has for his church. It's a beautiful vision. And yet if you've been part of churches for five minutes, you know that churches are flawed, that they're broken, that they're damaged, that we don't always live up to the, to the calling that we've been given. Rather than proclaiming the excellencies of who's called us out of light, often we are part of the darkness. Why is that? How, how does that happen and how do we prevent that happening? Well, a key to understanding how we are to be the church, I think, is to understand how God has structured the church and then to live out of that faithfully. And that's what really we're going to look at in this passage today, 1 Peter 5. We have a message that God has for for churches to help them understand uh, the role of leaders, but also the role of the congregation. Today's passage is primarily a message for leaders, or first and foremost, it's a message for leaders. Uh, Peter addresses the church, I exhort the elders among you. Basically, he's speaking to Christian leaders. He's speaking to people like myself, who's a pastor, or Coy, or our staff, uh, like uh, Michelle and Dan and Carmen, who are funded by us to dedicate their time to working here for the church. There's a message here for us, but I think it's also a message that's relevant for our our other leaders as well. Take our lay pastors like uh, Daniel and Lee, and also our uh, other lay ministers, the people who do stuff throughout the week, leading gospel communities, leading music, all of these things. There's some principles here about Christian leadership that God really wants us to take to heart. And the first thing is, understand your calling to shepherd the flock, Shepherd the flock. That's what God wants from Christian leaders. I exhort the elders among you as a fellow elder and a witness of the sufferings of Christ, as well as a partaker in the glory that is going to be revealed. Shepherd the flock of God that is among you, exercising oversight. Christian leaders are called to be shepherds. In fact, the word pastor comes from the Latin word for shepherd. And I've always loved this picture of Christian ministry. It's the 
the, the description that God gave for himself or chose for himself about his own role. Uh, Psalm 23, the Lord is my shepherd. Isaiah 40, he will tend his flock, his people like a shepherd. He will gather the lamb, lambs in his arms, he will carry them in his bosom and gently lead those that are with young. In fact, Jesus took on this name as well. John 10, I am the good shepherd. So God's people are his sheep. They're precious to him. He prizes them. He looks after them. And yet, remarkably, he has chosen to share this work, to bring in other people to help shepherd the flock, Christian leaders. So the Christian leader is called to be a shepherd. What does that mean exactly? What does it look like? Well, if you're in the ancient world, you would have seen shepherds out in the fields and they kind of had two key roles. They were there to provide for the flock, to make sure that the sheep were looked after and had food and sustenance. And then they were there to protect the flock from any wild animals that might seek to destroy them. And so in a spiritual context, we're called to protect and provide, to protect uh, from error and false teaching, to, to keep people away from making a, a shipwreck of their faith, so to speak, but also to provide for the sheep, to provide spiritual sustenance in God's Word, in His truth, to provide wise teaching and leadership and guidance. This is the call for God. And we have the, the perfect uh, model for it in Jesus Christ. Uh, in John 10, Jesus, as I said, calls Himself the shepherd, and he, we're told that he calls his own sheep by name. He, he knows each one of his sheep. He's committed to everyone. In Matthew 18, he tells a parable of the shepherd who leaves the 99 sheep just to go after the last one, the one that's lost. He cares that much about each and every sheep that he'll do anything to preserve them. And he gives himself for the flock. I am the good shepherd. The good shepherd lays down his life for the sheep. Jesus loves his people, the sheep, so much that he's willing even to die for us. That's the picture we have. And this becomes the model for Christian leadership. Christian leaders, as shepherds, should know the flock, should understand the people that God has given uh, into their care, understand their gifts, their idiosyncrasies, their, their needs and all of those things. They should love the flock, really care for them, be willing to uh, sacrifice themselves for them. They need to give themselves for the flock, giving time, energy, prayer, going after those who are lost or wavering. That's the task that God has given Christian leaders. And in the second part of this passage, Peter outlines the attitude in which it should be done. The task is to shepherd and now the attitude. And he does this by giving us three contrasts. And the first one is that the Christian leader needs to do their work not under compulsion, but willingly. Shepherd the flock that is God, that, the flock of God that is among you, exercising oversight, not under compulsion, but willingly, as God would have you. This is a warning here against reluctant ministry, or when ministry just feels like a chore and you're only doing it out of a sense of duty. Now, you might be wondering how that even happens. I mean, ministry, is, I've just said, is this incredible honour. The chief shepherd has entrusted his own sheep to you. How can you not just prize that? And the work that you're doing has an eternal significance. And yet motivation and perseverance in ministry can become an issue. 
Uh, I'm an Anglican priest, and recently, oh, a while ago, I was at a, an event with a whole bunch of other Anglican priests, and I remember one of them sitting there and basically just saying, like, I just don't like my job. And, and he said it was such a, a matter-of-fact, depressed uh, apathy kind of thing. It's just, I, I'm just not liking this. And actually, that sadly can be quite common. There are many people in ministry who want to get out of it, who do get out of it. Uh, I read somewhere the other day that 30% of clergy in Australia leave their occupation within the first five years of beginning ministry. So there's clearly times where Christian leaders struggle for motivation or find themselves weighed down by discouragement. And, And when they keep going, it's only by compulsion sometimes and not willingly. Some of it is uh, the nature of the work. A pastor has a very broad range of responsibilities, a preacher, teacher, pastoral carer, yes, all of that, but also project manager or compliance officer or administrator or lawnmower or, or whatever it is, toilet cleaner. Now, some of these things you'll love. They'll really give you joy and energy, but others you'll loathe. I mean, there are a few things that I just, I have an allergic reaction to Excel spreadsheets, like I can't handle them. And of course, some of ministry is very difficult. There are weeks where it feels like every phone call is a crisis, or you're constantly managing tricky relationships, or you have other discouragements around you, and it's never finished. You write one sermon, and there's another one to write. Uh, and because this, you want to take the work seriously, there's always someone that you could be meeting with, some place that you could be. It feels impossible. It's never finished. I think what happens that what has helped me is to actually recognise the difficulty of it, that this is just how it is and how it is for any job. It doesn't matter what kind of work you do, there's always going to be a sense of tiredness, discouragement sometimes and difficulty because we're told in Genesis 3 that sin has brought a curse into the world and, and one of the places that it poisons is work. By the sweat of your brow, God says to Adam, you'll find food. You'll have to work hard. Work will be difficult. And so in Christian ministry, you also have to accept that. You have to understand that that's how it works. And I think it's interesting that Peter says the word willingly. I think he wants them to have joy in their ministry. But there's another sense in which he says, look, you just need to be willing to take the difficulty. You have to accept that. And yet, of course, you don't want to just be like that. If you just do it purely out of that sense of, I'm just going to, I just have to suck this up, you will start to fade, you'll lose motivation. And so ultimately, you have to find joy in the ministry. How do you do that? Well, I think the key is to allow God to shepherd you. And I say this for someone who's in paid ministry, but also if you're a, a volunteer Maybe you're leading a gospel community. It's a really tough gig. You're working all day. You're tired by the end of it. Then you have to go out and uh, lead another group at, the, at night time. Maybe there's some really hard pastoral issues that you're dealing with. It's hard to keep going. So what do you need to do? You need to let God shepherd you. So the beautiful picture is that God leads us beside the still waters. He takes us to the green pastures. He restores our soul. So he wants you to have that. So often we can almost, we're constantly giving in ministry, but not receiving from God, not seeking him out. 
It's almost like we forget to be a Christian, to be a child of God. So, for instance, Sunday is a very important day for Christians. It's when we come together, we learn together, we sing together, we celebrate. It's a day when we feast on God together and we find new energy for the week ahead and for our faith. But in, for a Christian leader, it's probably a time that's stressful. You're a little bit like the party hosts, making sure that everyone is looked after and everyone's connected and all of those things. And you can be so busy that you're focusing purely on the task rather than the people in front of you. I'm sure it's the same in some of your ministries as well. So what do you need to do? You need to make sure that you're letting God serve you. Perhaps that means that you're spending more time in God's Word during the week, being really disciplined about uh, reading the Bible and praying so that your heart, your soul is still on fire. Maybe on Saturday night when it's quiet before the, the rush of Sunday morning, you're, you're making sure that you're taking the time to pray, to go on a prayer walk or something like that. And when you, I find that when I prepare myself well, when I'm here, I'm not just giving, I'm also receiving. I hear the gospel and I hear it myself, even as I'm saying it. I'm singing and I'm feeling it. I see someone else get it and the Spirit is alive in them and the Spirit livens up me as well. That's where I find true willingness. Edmund Clowney says, elders are not reluctant but willing. That is, they have a readiness that springs from His grace and runs to His glory. So if you're in Christian ministry, if you're a leader here, when's the last time you let God shepherd you? Secondly, Peter says that the shepherd should shepherd not for shameful gain, but eagerly. Really, he's talking here about our motivations and our goals. When I think of shameful gain, I think most naturally of, of money, and I'm sure we can think of all of the, the dodgy stuff we've seen among Christian leaders over the years. Christian leaders done for fraud or theft or televangelists constantly asking for money so that they can upgrade their private jet or something like that. We, it's impossible not to think that these people are doing this for shameful gain. And God is offended by this. And yet it's worth noting that in the Bible, God is not opposed to leaders being paid for their ministry. In the Old Testament, God instructed the people to tithe one-tenth of their income, which was all then given to the Levites to sustain them in their ministry. They wouldn't do anything else. They would just be dedicated to working at the temple. And so God is in favour of that. It's so important, soul care is so important that people should be dedicated to it. Jesus says a labourer deserves his wages. And yet all through the scriptures there's warnings of those who abuse this. In 1 Timothy 6, uh, Paul warns about the, the dangers of a, the love of money as a root of all kinds of evil. And so when he talks about the qualifications of an overseer, of, a, of an elder, he says they must not be a lover of money. You can see how that would distort them. We also know that during the uh, early church, there were people who were coming in and trying to rip people off. Uh, in 1 Timothy 6, Paul talks about those who imagine that godliness is a means of gain. They're, they're trying to parlay their spiritual gifts for financial gain. God is offended by this. The pastor, the leader, is a shepherd called to serve others 
not themselves. Karen Job says, the proper attitude of an elder is an eagerness to give, not a desire to get. But I don't think money is the only reward that he's talking about here, the only kind of shameful gain that people might be motivated by. Another one I was thinking of is the danger of pursuing your own reputation. You see, ministry can be really great for your ego. You're kind of seen by other people as wise, as knowledgeable, an expert. People figure you know lots of stuff about the Bible. They come to you asking for questions. You're seen as gifted. Perhaps you're the evangelist that they can bring their friend to who will be able to convert them, so to speak. You're perhaps the peacemaker who can resolve their marital conflict or the soul whisperer who understands their issues. Ultimately, you're seen as someone who's godly, who's got it together. And this can be very intoxicating. Of course, we want to be those people. But sometimes what happens is we pursue this even if it's not authentic. We do things in order to build or maintain our ministry, say yes to every opportunity just so that we can extend our platform. And then if you build up some kind of reputation, there's a temptation for people to hold on to it unhealthily, to remove themselves from any accountability so they're not confessing their sins or showing their flaws to anybody else. And when someone does confront them, they're defensive, they deny it. That's why I love the example of Paul, because he's constantly talking about his weakness. In the book of First uh, and Second Corinthians, uh, we see this most profoundly. The church at Corinth was a very vain church, impressed by intelligence and learning and the spectacular. But instead of going along with this, Paul decided instead to boast of his weakness, because, chapter 12, he found that in his weakness... He discovered God's strengths. So if you're a leader, what are your weaknesses? I don't mean like you say in a job interview, oh, what's your weakness? I'm a perfectionist. Like that's actually a strength. Like don't give me that. What what are your actual weaknesses? What do you struggle with? What are the things that hold you back? Perhaps even that you're ashamed of. Of course you want to be working on these things, of course. But are you willing to show or share these vulnerabilities so that God can be glorified in it? I think this really is the true test of our motivations. See, if we're all about our motivations, we won't let people see these things. But if we're all about God's reputation, we will, because we want to see God glorified. We'll speak of our weakness so God, uh, people can see God's strength. For me, one of my big weaknesses is a form of OCD. It's not a usual form, it's not obvious to look at, but it's within myself. I'm constantly analysing my character, ruminating on the things that happen in my life, worrying that I'm somehow evil, that I might break out and do something horrible. And this really holds me back, it's really limiting. I find it very frustrating gets me down sometimes and makes me feel less than I want to be. And yet in the midst of this, I've also discovered God's strength. I've seen him walk with me, hold me up, lead me forward. Another type of shameful gain, I think, is the desire for power. 
So we've seen money, reputation, his power. This is actually something I've sensed more often in the last few years. You see, as you progress in ministry, you start to realise that you have some kind of authority. You walk into a room and people are looking to you to lead them. You get to make lots of decisions. People ask your opinion on something and then they go and do it. Like, it's actually kind of fun. Uh, (laughs) Now, this is not necessarily a bad thing. There is a sense in which a leader needs to take responsibility for certain things and set the direction. But the danger comes if you're only... uh, you're not bowing to God's power in those decisions. You're not bowing to God's authority. You're not seeking out his wisdom. And then I'm, sometimes I've seen or heard of pastors who really use their power to claim spiritual authority in someone's life in a really unhealthy way. They want people to come for every decision and then they bind the person's conscience. If you're not following me, then you're doing the wrong thing. They control peoples uh, in different ways. Now, Jesus doesn't want to see this. He doesn't want to see his sheep domineered like this. He's laid down his life to save the sheep. He doesn't want them crushed. Mark 9, Jesus says, Whoever causes one of these little ones who believe in me to sin, it would be better for him if a great millstone were hung around his neck and he was thrown into the sea. That's how God views it, when one of his people is misled, overpowered, dominated. Jesus cannot handle that, doesn't want to see that. So there's lots of bad motivations that we might have for ministry. But here, Peter calls us to the best motivation. Look at verse 4. When the chief shepherd appears, you will receive the unfading crown of glory. See, the true reward... The right motivation comes with the thought of what Jesus thinks. Here is the chief shepherd and he assesses the work of the under-shepherd and then gives his rewards accordingly. And unlike money or power or your reputation, none of that will fade. It's an unfading crown of glory. So if you're in ministry, if you're leading people, look for that. Look for that time when you see Jesus face to face and he says, well done, good and faithful servant. So we see those first two contrasts and then the third contrast is between domineering and being an example. Not domineering over those in your charge but being examples to the flock. This is, suggests Edmund Clowney, the difference between a cowboy and a shepherd. You see, a cowboy rides behind the sheep, cracking the whip, driving them forward. But a shepherd ministers among the sheep or just ahead, taking the risk, leading the way, opening the path, taking the danger so that others can follow. They set the example. And in so doing... They're pointing to Jesus. They're trying to lead people towards and like Jesus. See, this is the dynamic that God has set up. We imitate Christ and then we set an example so other people can imitate us as they imitate Christ. That's how Paul talks about it. 1 Corinthians 11, be imitators of me as I am of Christ. There's a chain here. Now, of course, no human can be perfect. There'll always be areas that they need to grow in. But even here, this can be a point of imitation. This is what I love about Paul. 
See, in his ministry, he describes himself as a, a jar of clay, this brittle, fragile vessel, liable to break, yet holding the glory of God. And then even when he sins, he tries to use this as a way of pointing to God's grace. 1 Timothy 1, Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners, of whom I am the foremost. But I receive mercy for this reason, that in me, as the foremost, Jesus Christ might display his perfect patience as an example to those who were to believe in him for eternal life. So he's saying, if you're struggling to believe that God could forgive you, if you're laboring under some sense of condemnation, he says, look at me. Like, I'm the chief of sinners and God forgave me. So even when he's failing, he's pointing to Christ. Jesus is an example, always. Now, underlying all of this is a servant-hearted attitude. It's the desire to use power to serve and care for others. This is what's so radical about the Christian vision of leadership. Leaders are servants. They don't lord it over others. They don't domineer. They give themselves for others. That helps frame the advice that we have in verse 5. The first four verses of this passage are directed at leaders. And the last verse, I think, is directed at the congregation. Verse 5, likewise, you who are younger, be subject to the elders. I don't think younger here means younger in years. I think it's something around the, the place in the structure that God has set up for the church. So there's elders who are leading and then there's youngers, so to speak, who are following that leadership. They're, they are subject to those leaders. Now, that word subject, we're kind of a bit afraid of that. And so we, we looked at this over the last few weeks, didn't we? We talked about what does submission mean? Because it's a big concept in 1 Peter. Peter talks about it a lot. Be subject for the Lord's sake to every human institution, whether that's citizens to the government, slaves to their master or wives to their husband. And we do this for the Lord's sake. That was the big concept that we do this because this is how God has structured relationships around us. And that includes the church. God has established leaders to shepherd the flock. And so God now calls us to submit to that within God's structure. Now, we looked a few weeks ago at the limits to that, and I think some of those same limits apply here in the church. Submission doesn't mean that you follow leaders into sin. So leaders can get it wrong sometimes. They can encourage a church into sin by pursuing the wrong objectives, or perhaps they might teach the wrong thing, either condoning something that God forbids or demanding something that God doesn't demand. So remember, you're always following God before any human. So if you hear us say something up the front here that doesn't match with what God says, you follow God, not us. And secondly, submission doesn't mean that you don't challenge a leader. One of the hardest things, I think, but one of the most important uh, is to be able to call out sin, to blow the whistle on things that are wrong, even in a leader. This can be incredibly difficult. You don't want to do it. Perhaps this is someone you really respect. So you want to hope for the best. You assume, that oh, surely they, they must understand. There must be some reason for this. Or you're afraid to do it. Perhaps other people have made you afraid. 
You know, oh, how can you challenge this? The church is going so well, how can you stand in the way of God's blessing or something like that? You're sabotaging God's work. People are often told those kinds of things. But you need to do it. Even if it's hard, you need to do it. Perhaps it's nothing. Maybe what you think is something isn't something, but that's all right, still say it. A leader is supposed to be above reproach. So if you're questioning their behaviour, they're no longer above reproach. You need to come and talk to them about it. Look, can you explain? I've seen you in this situation. I don't think it's wise. So if you're seeing me in something and you're like, ah, Luke, that's not, that's not a good look, come and talk to me about it. Come and talk to us. Please feel free to do that. And thirdly, submission doesn't mean that the leader does all the ministry or makes all the decisions. Yes, they're called to lead, but really their work is about bringing everyone else along with them. And so we need more ideas. I, I can have my hobby horses, my key passions, and that's, they're God-given and so we need to pursue that, but there's also a whole bunch of other stuff that I need you to bring. We need a fuller ministry around us. Okay, so that's what submission isn't, but what is it? Well, I think submission in the church means choosing to follow a Christian leader, willingly submitting to their leadership and direction, not because they're better, not because they're more valuable or more important, but because God has set it up that way. And in submission to God, you choose to submit to those he's placed over you. There's a few things that this looks like practically. First of all, I want to encourage you to pray for your leaders. Just after today's passage, Paul warns his readers that the devil, that your adversary, the devil, prowls around like a roaring lion seeking someone to devour. If you're the shepherd, you'll feel this. You'll feel the wild animals coming around the sheep trying to destroy. You see it. You feel it but you also feel it against yourself, the spiritual attack coming up to Easter. I can almost guarantee that there will be a, a spiritual attack in our lives in the next two weeks. Pray for your leaders because the devil is prowling, prowling around, not looking just for sheep, but also for the shepherd. Why do you think so many Christian leaders fall from grace? Because the devil knows that if he can grab the leader, he'll also affect the sheep. So pray for your leaders. Ask how they're going. And when you ask, don't accept their first answer because they're not used to people asking deep, asking how they're going. They'll just kind of deflect it. Oh, yeah, great, God's good, whatever. <laughs> Go underneath that. What are you learning? How are you being encouraged? What are you grappling with at the moment? What's something that, that God's showing you? Is there anything you need prayer for? Wait until you get one of those answers. So pray for your leaders. And secondly, seek out pastoral care. That's what submission looks like. You see, often people come and approach us and sort of say, oh, look, I know you're really busy. I'm just wondering if you could meet up with me. Yeah, we might be busy, but we're supposed to be busy in this, in pastoral care. That's the job. So don't feel bashful. Don't feel afraid. Either I can do that, can, can meet with you, or I can bring someone else along to do that with you. That's my responsibility, shepherding the flock. So ask for prayer, look for a mentor, seek wisdom, 
And then as, you're, uh, as someone's meeting up with you, be willing to accept what they say. See, if you're coming to a shepherd, they might say something to you that's hard to hear. They might challenge you. They might uh, ask, suggest that you change the way you're living in a certain way, and that might be hard to hear. But know that they're doing this carefully. Know that they're not just doing this to hurt you, but because they believe that this is where God is leading. One of the hardest things in ministry is hearing uh, how people's lives have been ruined by sin. You meet up with people and you see the horrible, devastating impact of sin in someone's life. It's very sobering. And so you want to protect people from it. You see the sheep walking towards the cliff and you want to pull that person back. And then you also see the glory of happy lives where people are saying yes to God and you see how they're prospering in their hearts and their, their life. You want people to experience more of that. And so you're trying to shepherd the people towards the grass. Hebrews 13, obey your leaders and submit to them for they are keeping watch over your souls as those who will have to give an account. Let them do this with joy and not with groaning, for that would be of no advantage to you. At the end of the day, I must give an account for the people of this church. The chief shepherd, I'll stand before the chief shepherd and he will say, how did you shepherd the church? That is a fearsome responsibility. And know that we carry that with humility, hopefully, and a desire to do it well. So seek out pastoral care. It's our job. And then thirdly, be a part of the ministry. In Ephesians 4, Paul talks about how he set the church up. He gave the apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, the shepherds and teachers to equip the saints for the work of ministry, for building up the body of Christ. Ultimately, ministry... Uh, my ministry is not about what I do. It needs ultimately to be about what you do. God calls the leader to equip others to do their work. And then as this happened, Paul goes on to say that the body grows and builds as it comes together. That's the goal. So bring yourself to the church. Bring your time. Commit to things. Bring your talents the gifts that God has given you. To each is given the manifestation of the Spirit for the common good, Paul tells the Corinthians. So bring those gifts that God has given you so that we can do the work that he has called us to. Well, as we come towards a close, I feel like God is just giving this beautiful vision for the church of what it's supposed to be like, but it's also a challenging one, and so it's really significant how Peter ends the section the second half of verse 5, clothe yourselves, all of you, with humility toward one another, for God opposes the proud but gives grace to the humble. All of what we've talked about tonight relies on humility. That's, that's the, the thing that juices the gears and makes it work. So leaders need humility. They need to listen they need to not domineer, they need to be eager, they need to not be taken by the idols of shameful gain, they need to be worthy of imitation. They must be humble and live under the chief shepherd. 
And then the congregation must be humble, willing to follow their leadership and support it. This all points to Jesus, both in our best bits and our worst. See, the Christian vision of leadership points towards what Jesus has done. He says in Matthew 20, whoever would be great among you must be your servant and whoever would be first among you must be your slave, even as the Son of Man came not to be served but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many. We all need the humility of sitting under the Son of Man, of recognising our sin and our need for him and then seeing that he gave his life for us, trusting that. And so, our leadership points towards that self-sacrifice but also points to our constant need of his love. We don't domineer because we remember what the chief shepherd has done and we choose to follow the Christian leader because we trust that God has set it up that way, that this, his, this is his will and this makes us eager and willing to do it. And I think Peter knew this better than anyone. See, it's so telling that Peter uses this image of the shepherd because it defines his own experience. Just think about Peter's story. A bold apostle, sure of his own resources, determined never to let Jesus down, resolved that he would never leave Jesus. But of course he did. On the night uh, Judas betrayed Jesus, Peter deserted him, denied him three times, one of the most savage blows to Jesus. And yet three days later, Jesus restored him, forgiving him and renewing his ministry. And do you remember how he did it? In John 20, Jesus asks Peter three times, do you love me? And Peter says, yes. And Jesus says, feed my lambs, tend my sheep, feed my sheep. Be a shepherd, he's saying. Here is the great shepherd and the wayward sheep. But now the great shepherd has come and brought Peter back. And now he empowers him to say, I want you to go out and shepherd like I have shepherded. I want you to do it with humility, with a constant sense of your sins forgiven. And I want you to do it with self-sacrifice. I want you to lay down your life for the sheep. Give your time, yourself, your energies to those you lead. I want you to lead these people home to me. And of course, that's what Peter did. All through 1 Peter we've seen this. How he protected and provided for the sheep how he's warned them, how he's instructed them, how he's challenged them, how he's encouraged them. He's given them good food. He's shown them Jesus. He's pointed them to the great shepherd. And he received the unfading crown of glory. Let's pray that we get that too. Let's pray. Father God, we want to thank you for your vision for the church. We acknowledge your uh, your vision, your, that it is right. Help us, Lord, to follow it. Lord, I pray for those in Christian leadership here. That they will serve humbly, willingly, not under compulsion, but with a joy and a fire and a passion, 
that is bred of your grace and driven towards your glory. Lord, I pray that you'll encourage those who feel discouraged, that you'll uh, build up those who feel like they've got nothing left. Thank you for what you've given them. Now shepherd them. Lord, I pray for our congregation. I thank you so much for this church. I thank you, Lord, for the wonderful willingness to follow and to accept authority. I thank you for the incredible gifts that you've brought together in this place. I pray that every gift might be brought forward for your work and that it might be stewarded by us in a way that honours you. Lord, I pray that we might do the work that you have called us to do you have equipped us to do, that we might truly be a city on a hill and that people might see our good works and glorify our Father in heaven. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Thank you for listening to our podcast. If you'd like to know more about our church or if you'd like to donate to the work of City on a Hill, please visit cityonahill.com.au.